Hey everybody, thanks for checking out the Glendale Road Church of Christ podcast. You're welcome to join us anytime you're around. We are at 1101 Glendale Road in Murray, Kentucky. We meet for worship every Sunday morning at 9 a.m., followed by our Bible study at 10 a.m., and we come back every Sunday evening for a bonus worship hour at 6 p.m. Also, every midweek on Wednesday at 7 p.m., we have a Bible study. You'd be welcome to join us. We'll be sure to save a seat for you. Now, here's this week's sermon. Our scripture reading this morning is in Romans, the first chapter, verses 1 through 7. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God, which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, which was made of the seed of David, according to the flesh, and declared to be the son of God with power, according to the spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead, by whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience in the faith among all nations for his name, among whom are ye also the called of Jesus Christ. To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be servants, grace to you, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. God is good all the time. Many of you will know Roger Thompson. He was a counselor at the Christian Counseling Center, and as long as that was in operation, this church supported it. Uh, Roger passed away this last Thursday, and his arrangements are at Uh, Milner or Funeral Home in Paducah. Uh, The visitation will be Tuesday 5 to 8 p.m. and the funeral will be Wednesday at 10 a.m. So for those of you that would like to know that, we wanted to pass that along. Uh, He did a great work at the Christian Counseling Center. There's a popular quote that says, he never wrote a book, he never held an office, he never had a family or owned a house. He didn't go to college, and he never visited a big city. He never traveled 200 miles from the place where he was born. He did none of those things one usually associates with greatness. And yet, his life was the most impactful upon all humanity, Jesus Christ. Now, there are a lot of times that people can say, and we should in honesty agree with them when they say, a lot of evil has been done in the name of religion in the name of Christ even. And I think we could probably agree with that. I've had that conversation with people before. They'll say, well, you know, a lot's been done that's bad in the name of Christ. And I'll say, yeah, that's true. But if you look at history, the bloodiest century in the history of the world was the 20th century. And it wasn't because of Christ. It was because of communism, Marxism, and the other isms that took many of our parents, grandparents, great-grandparents overseas to fight wars. But that's not to negate the reality that, yeah, you can say some bad things have been done in the name of Christ by those who claim to follow Him and whose actions betray that confession. But look at all the good that has also been done because of Jesus Christ. Let me just give you a few things. Hospitals, orphanages, Hospices, soup kitchens, and benevolent institutions were born by those who followed Jesus. 
Those who followed Jesus and began all those institutions, they regarded the poor, the sick, the homeless, the prisoner, the unemployed, the stranger, and the dying. So a lot of these things that we see in our society and take for granted were actually the product of Christian thought. Uh, Reforming society has stemmed from Christian principles. For example, the Spanish priest Las Casas advocated for Native Americans after seeing how poorly they were being treated by his fellow Spaniards. William Wilberforce led the charge to abolish slavery in England. Roger Williams fought for religious freedom for all. Elizabeth Fry reformed prisons. Dietrich Bonhoeffer resisted the evils of Nazism. Gary Hagen freeing prisoners from modern sex trafficking and bonded slavery. And there are countless other names who fought against the evils of their day and dared to believe that a better world was possible. And they did so with their Christian worldviews in mind. Institutions of higher education used to be institutions of religious learning. Oxford University, Cambridge University, Harvard and Yale in their birth were ran by clergymen, not by secular scholars. Oxford's motto is Dominus Illuminatio Mea, the Lord is my light. Modern science was the fruit of the Reformation movement. Human rights revolution flowed from all humans being made in the image of God. And so the credit for those go to the Jewish and the Christian's faith. And why have these good things all come to pass in society and around the world? It's because of one appointed Son, Jesus Christ. And those who dared to follow Him, albeit imperfectly, wanted to do His will here on earth as it is in heaven. So yeah, there are a lot of negatives, but there are also a lot of positives. And it just depends on your mindset, you know. You can look at anything and find a flaw. You know, we can be realists and go, yeah, there's bad, but we should also be optimists and go, there's good too. And I realize there are some things that you can't ever see the good in, and uh, I, I'm not going to say you, you have to make everything into something positive, because some things simply just aren't. But when you have the one argument of Christianity is not that great of a religion, and they list all these reasons, and I go, no, you're looking at human error. You're not looking at Jesus or Christian doctrine. You're looking at people who are flawed, some of whom just outright evil. Now, if you were to use the words gospel, Lord, and Savior in ancient Rome, there would have been one thing that came to mind for the ancient Roman, and it wouldn't have necessarily been Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, there is an inscription called the Prean Inscription that uh, dates to around 9 B.C. And that inscription says, the most divine Caesar, notice that language, has brought our life to the climax of perfection in giving to us the Emperor Augustus, who being sent to us and our descendants as Savior, has put an end to war and has set all things in order and whereas having become God manifest, that is God in the flesh, Caesar has fulfilled all the hopes of earlier times. The birthday of the God Augustus has been for the whole world the beginning of good news. 
concerning him. That word translated good news is the same word translated gospel. So the language that Paul uses here in the first four verses of Romans would have been political language to the Roman, and that's exactly what he writes to the Romans. Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the good news, the gospel of God, which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the Son of God. In the second century, many Christians were put to death because they refused to say one phrase, Kyrios Caesar, Lord Caesar. Rather, they said, Kyrios Christos, Lord Christ. They couldn't bring themselves to call Caesar what rightfully belonged as a title to Jesus Christ. And oftentimes when they were rounded up, they were said, look, if you offer incense to Caesar, if you confess Lord Caesar, we will not put you to death. And many Christians, they refused to do so, and many of them were put to death as a result of it. So this language that Paul is using is, on the one hand, in their context, it's political. They're actually Roman coins that archaeologists have found that refer to Caesar as the Son of God. Now, if you look on the right coin to the left of the head, uh, divi, and there's that F. In Latin, that's Son of the Gods or Son of God. So when you point out Jesus as the Son of God, you're, you're actually taking the good news of the Gospel of Jesus Christ and you're setting it at opposite with the earthly power that existed in that day. Sadly, we've gotten a little bit away from that and we try to blend the two. Um, do good here on earth by all means, yes, but we will not have heaven on earth until the Lord's second coming. And even then, He has a greater plan than just bringing it all to this earth. So to say that Jesus is Lord is to imply that Caesar is not. And to proclaim Jesus as the Son of God is to deny that Caesar is. And also denies Him of the highest title by which He was called. One particular author says, Christians neglected what some thought necessary, that is, worship of the gods, and abhorred precisely what many adore, that is, the Roman power, the might of the empire. So, the way that it was, let's say you lived in the city of Rome. First of all, in your household, you have your family gods that your family has worshipped for centuries. And so, in a particular corner of your house was a little shrine, and you would have your various idols set in that corner. And that's where you would go to make offerings, to pray, and to ask your ancestors and their gods to be with you. Okay, so that's the household. Then you have the gods of the city, in this case, Rome. Uh, Remus and Romulus, if you know Roman mythology, two brothers that warred against each other. Romulus, the one who prevailed. So Rome is named after Romulus. So you make offerings to him. And then you have the gods of the empire as a whole. Uh, Jupiter and Gaia and the various others. Now it wasn't anything to them to just keep adding gods to everyone that they worshipped. But then you have this group of people. Most of them in the early centuries, they were just Jewish. And at this time, the Jews were already looked at with 
you know, the, the Romans thought they were just weirdos. They don't work on the Sabbath on Saturday. You know, that's, well, that's odd. They knew that they didn't do a lot of the other things, that they believed in one God. But then you have some who were converting from the Roman religions to Christianity, and they no longer show up at the city festivals. They no longer show up for the empire festivals. And so the thought was, you must be opposed to Rome. And if you're opposed to Rome, you are guilty of treason. And those were the charges. That was the thinking in that time. And we see this somewhat reflected in a passage in Acts chapter 17, verses 6 through 7. When they didn't find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brethren to the rulers of the city, crying out, these who have turned the world upside down have come here too. Jason has harbored them and they are all acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying there is another king, Jesus. So that was the accusation against them at that time. But here's what we notice from what all that Paul had to say. Look at Romans chapter 1, verse, beginning verse 5. Through him... We have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all the nations. For His name among whom you also are called of Jesus Christ. So God's good news isn't just limited to a specific people or racial group. It's for all the world. It's universal. Everyone is invited to make Jesus their King. And this was promised, Paul goes on, according to the prophets in the Scripture. And if, if you look at it from this angle, Paul is drawing on the history of Israel. And at this time, when he wrote this, the Gentile population has swollen to outnumber the Jewish believers. And so you have more Gentile Christians in Rome than you have Jewish Christians. But Paul's reminding them that this universal salvation has come all the way through Israel, through Israel's history. So how Paul addresses Jesus is fascinating both to the Jews and the Greeks. He calls Him Christ, which refers to the Jews' messianic expectation. Uh, he also appeals to Jesus as Lord, and here in one fell swoop, Paul links Christ to the Jewish expectation of God's kingdom. Now, if you lived during the reign of Caesar Augustus, that was seen as a golden era for the empire. It's like you had the president and the Congress that you wanted, and they did everything right by you. There was actually a phrase for that particular period of history, the Pax Romanum, the Peace of Rome. Augustus Caesar ended the civil war that had been going on for a long time, many, many years. And he ushered in peace and prosperity. And people look at this and they go, this kingdom of God? Why do you mention this kingdom of God? There's one main difference between the Roman Empire, peace and prosperity, and the kingdom of God. In the Roman Empire's peace and prosperity, no matter how well you do, guess what? You're still going to die. But in the kingdom of God, King Jesus, through His sacrifice, offers you eternal life. 
Sounds a little far-fetched, doesn't it? It's almost like we're chasing that fountain of youth. And many of us do it without actually calling it that. What do we do? You know, we use products and some people have surgeries and all these other things because we want to youth we want to look youthful. We don't, you know, we don't want folks to know. You know, somebody asked me, I said, I said, are you going to dye your hair? I said, why would I do that? Well, you've got grays. I'm like, I, I want everybody to know how, what this church has done to me, right? <laughs> no, but I'm like, no, whatever. I said, look, if it turns different colors, that's fine. But now if it turns loose, then I'll do something. You know, I'll probably just start shaving my whole head. Thankfully, it's not turned loose. It's just turning, turning another color. Uh, but, you know, in the Bible, it says that the head of the hair of gray is a crown for them. Well, why am I going to take off a crown if the Lord says it's a crown, right? But we want to look youthful, but here's the reality. We're getting older. Things don't operate like they used to. Probably a couple days this last week, I woke up and started out the day taking in a leave. That's fun. These things happen. This body is, has probably already reached its peak. Maybe it's on the downhill slope. We do the best. Some of us take better care of ourselves than others. We diet, we exercise, and others are like, well, the Lord's going to give me a new body, so I'm going to pray for Him to bless this fried chicken. Once you pray for it and ask the Lord to bless it to the nourishment of your body, those become the Lord's calories, not mine, right? That's, that's how some people think. Peace and prosperity is wonderful. Don't get me wrong. But I'm going to tell you something else. In light of peace and prosperity, there is every one of us in this church today who wishes that a seat that is going to be empty next Sunday wasn't empty. Peace and prosperity? That's great. I'd much rather have that loved one in that chair. When you look at the world that way, and if all you have is hope and the powers of life, you go, there's no hope. But through Jesus Christ and our faith in Him, we have the hope of eternal life. And Paul says that Jesus has been proven to be this Son of God with power, verse 4, to this, according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. I've told you before and I'll tell you again why I believe in the resurrection. I know some people say, oh, that just, that just sounds so, you know, why would you believe that a person died and then rose from the dead? Um, well, I could go on a whole tangent about that. You know, some people believe that we evolved from primordial slime. You know, that life came from non-life, that uh, order came out of chaos. You know, that, that doesn't make sense to me. Now, the resurrection does, and I'll tell you why. We look outside right now. It's a little cold. going to get colder by next week. Make sure you paid your electric bills because you don't want that shut off by next week. But, you know, you look, the trees have lost their leaves. The flowers have died. But guess what? Come spring, what's going to happen? Nature's going to come back to life. That's a form of a resurrection, isn't it? Going to death and then coming back to life? 
Or how about, uh, I, I love the butterfly, the butterfly, the caterpillar, right? Uh, metamorphosis, when, when we were in school, you know, they would explain, you got this little caterpillar, fuzzy caterpillar, that thing will spin a cocoon and is going to kind of hibernate for a while, but when it emerges, it emerges this beautiful butterfly. I don't know about, but Stephanie, uh, I don't know what these flowers are that she plants, but the butterflies like to fly all around them. I'm not going to trip, peonies, no? Perennial? No. I don't. Ask Stephanie. She'll tell you all about it. Um, I just know they're pretty, and the hummingbirds fly around them. The, the butterflies fly around them. And uh, anyway, if, if that doesn't just give you a sense of joy and wonder, then you've you got a boring life. I, I just think God gives us a lot of beauty in nature. But look at these passages too. One of the things that the gospel, uh, rather that the biblical writers show us and explain is that there were some odd beliefs even in that time. Matthew covers one in Matthew 28, verses 12 through 15. If you'd like to look along, feel free to. Matthew 28, verses 12 through 15. Now this is on the morning that Jesus rose from the grave. And so Matthew's probably writing a couple decades after everything took place. Verse 12, when they had assembled with the, the elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers, saying, Tell them his disciples came at night and stole him away while we slept. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will appease him and make you secure. Look at verse 15. So they took the money and did as they were instructed. And this saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. So Matthew, writing maybe 20 years after this happened, Matthew said, even to this day, this is what people are saying. That we, the disciples, stole the body of the Lord. And they did this to save the soldiers who were supposed to have been guarding the tomb, only to come to discover that the tomb was empty. Another one is Acts chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. And this points out that Jesus was with His disciples for 40 days. So from the time He rose from the grave to the time He ascended to heaven, 40 days, a little over a month. Until the day in which He was taken up after He, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom He had chosen, to whom He also presented Himself alive after His suffering by many infallible proofs being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So not only does Matthew say there's this lie that is circulating among us, Luke says, now remember, he was here for 40 days and he, by many, many infallible proofs, demonstrated himself to be alive. And then you have 1 Corinthians 15 where he appeared to hundreds who Paul said some of which are still with us to this day. 1 Corinthians 15, beginning verse 3. For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures and that he was seen by Cephas, 
then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles, then last of all, he was seen by me also as one born out of due time. I think we've got some pretty compelling evidence, not only from nature, but also from the eyewitness accounts. And I showed you a week or two ago what some of the pagan non-believers had to say about Christianity in their own time, having no skin in the game, no interest of proving anything one way or the other. I think the record is pretty clear. And if I were to ask you what year are we in, it's not a trick question, you would answer, well, 2022. What are we counting our years by? counting our years by the life of Jesus. Right? We used to, on older documents, it used to be A.D. In the year of our Lord, that's what A.D. stands for, Anno Domini. Uh, now people have changed that, and it's C.E. and B.C.E., whereas it used to be just B.C. and A.D. when I was in school. But we're counting time by someone who lived. You can't convince me that that man's life was unimportant. When you consider that he didn't do any of the esteemed things that we consider to be successful, it was a very obscure person. And when they began to preach the gospel, notice that they started at Jerusalem. They didn't go all the way to the headquarters of the Roman Empire in Rome. They started way out in the country, we might say. And they preached, and they went there from Samaria and then to the uttermost parts of the world. Now, if that message was a farce, surely it would have not made it as far as what it had. And if Jesus hadn't risen from the dead, all you got to do is produce the body. End of discussion. This year didn't start off the greatest. We've been dealing with two years of COVID, and then we get to 2022 and we notice movements over in Eastern Europe that put everybody on edge. Some of us had other things happen not so great. This year in January, my last living grandparent passed away. If you count the time in the womb, he was 80 years old. I think 80 is pretty young when you consider how long people are living. But I remember when we went down to Nashville, snow on the ground, and um, was talking to my... Now, he, he married a lady when I was a kid, uh, and she's been Granny Kathy. So I, my, let me rephrase that, my last living biological grandparent. Well, anyway, so Granny Kathy called, and, and she let me know that he had passed away. And... Uh, so we talk on the phone and make all the arrangements for the funeral and get down there for the funeral. And it's, it's funny because he has two siblings left, one older, one younger, and his other two brothers, the, young, the baby and the eldest, had both passed within the last six months. So been a lot of things happening. So I'm talking to Granny Kathy, and, you know, Granddad had COVID, but he had also been fully immunized. But she said, now, he, he also had COPD. I was like, well, I never knew that he had that. And 
you know, you think of people with COPD, they have an inhaler, an oxygen tank or something. She said, yeah, he would take breathing treatments every night, but he would not walk around with an oxygen tank. I said, he was a little bit prideful, wasn't he? She said, yeah. And back in 2019, I think it was, at the beginning of 2019 in February, you remember the, the tornadoes that went through Middle Tennessee? And Granddad and Granny Kathy lived in Mount Juliet where the tornadoes went, and thankfully they were in Branson, Missouri, but if they'd been home, they'd be dead. So from that, and some of you went down with me to do some cleanup one day, and I thank you so much for that. But the week before, before, or just a few days before he died, they had just received the certificate of occupancy to now move back into their rebuilt home. So a lot of things happening, very emotional. But what I thought was the funniest, and don't think this is morbid of me, if you knew my granddad, you would, you would laugh at this too. It was just his personality. He had what I call little man syndrome. Do y'all know what little man syndrome is? Okay, good. I just want to make sure we're on the same page. He wasn't but like yay tall. But now his mindset was as if he was some ginormous muscle building whatever guy. He had an attitude. Well, anyway, so he goes and he has his yearly checkups while they're rebuilding the house and he goes to his cardiologist and cardiologist discovers an irregularity and they do some tests and he comes back for the test and his cardiologist says, uh, Mr. Hunter, you you need to have a heart valve replaced. So we need to schedule that. No joke, my granddad looked at that guy and said, I don't have time for that, I'm building the house. That was the end of it. And you know, had he had that heart valve replaced, had he taken care of his COPD, and you know, even when he had COVID, if he had gone, and so my Uncle Mel, his brother said, you know, this could have been avoided. And I said, yeah, you're right, but has anybody ever been able to get Granddad Hunter to do something he didn't want to do? If they did, they need to write a book about it so we can all learn how to deal with those difficult people in our lives that we love very dearly. But I tell you all that to say that there are several people, all of whom are up here, empty chairs, empty chairs. It's Granddad Hunter. Little old me by his side. What not cute? Things change, don't they? Right to the right above is my Choctaw grandmother. Right under are my step grandparents, Graham and Granddaddy. Top right's my mama. And you see little Cole and little Bree. And my adoptive grandparents, the last two pictures before Grandpa Purcell and Granny Purcell. One of the things that you really, really feel as you age, and hopefully you can understand this, when your grandparents die, things are different. Stephanie and I were having that conversation on the way in this morning. She said, you know, Christmas is just not like the Christmas that I'm used to. And I, oops, I did it, I did it again. That's a song, I think. Anyway, <laughs> there you go. You're catching up, you're catching up. <laughs> Sorry, it just came out and then I made the connection. But when your grandparents die, it's like, well, now my parents are the grandparents. And, and what we knew as children growing up, th that reality is no longer there. For those of you for whom the holidays contain more sorrow than joy, 
I want you to know that you've been prayed for this morning. In our meeting before services, we prayed especially for you, for you who find this to be a difficult time of the year. But in that difficulty, please remember one thing, if you will. Just do me this favor, remember one thing. That is not the end of the story. Jesus Christ died in these empty chairs by hope in Him and His grace and what He accomplished on the cross are only empty for a time. Not for all eternity. And though the bodies be Though those bodies be buried beneath the ground, those people, those spirits, those souls live now in the heavens. And I guarantee you this, they want us to come to them more than we want them to be here. Let's pray together. Gracious Father, we're thankful for your grace. We have done nothing to earn salvation. We have done nothing to merit it. Were we to get what your justice requires, we would be in a horrible state. But thankfully, your justice is far superseding that of men because it entails and encompasses your holiness, which offers to us salvation through Jesus Christ and the hope of eternal life. And we thank you. Thank you, thank you, Father, for that. It's my prayer that we would each walk in your grace and mercy it's my prayer, Father, for those that have not yet obeyed the gospel, who have not confessed Jesus as Lord, who have not been buried with him in baptism. I pray for them, Lord. I pray that they would obey the gospel and that you would have mercy on them until that time should come to pass. Bless those who will mourn this season. Give them your peace and your comfort. And bless us each that, Father, when our time here on this earth is done, that we could be welcomed into your presence in the heavens where there is the hope of eternal life. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have not yet named the name of Jesus as your Savior and been buried with him in baptism to have your sins washed away, you're invited to do so. If you're a Christian who wants to rededicate yourself to the Lord, you say, maybe I've not done all that I need to do. And God knows it and I know it. We'll be glad to pray with you and for you. Just make your way to the front as we stand and sing together.